0: Welcome to the HSCT Warriors podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry-Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. And so no, welcome, Carolyn. It. Thank you so much for joining us today to tell, share your story about your journey to HSCT. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm really excited to hear more about your journey. And so we can dive right in with your story about diagnosis and how you came to be graced with the lovely autoimmune disease diagnosis.
1: Yes, yes, lucky, lucky us, uh, and autoimmune diseases. So I have had MS for almost a decade, but I was first diagnosed on my thirty-second birthday. Oh my gosh! You know, happy, happy birthday, right? Um, happy birthday! And and ironically. Uh, full circle, I will be admitted to the hospital uh, in a month or so on my birthday again for one of the steps of chemotherapy for HFCT. So I feel like it's a strangely poetic full circle that I was diagnosed on my birthday and am hoping to eradicate it on my birthday. So fingers crossed that and I just plan to pick a new birthday. I I hear (laughs) October is nice. So well, your stem no. cell birthday is close <laughs> enough,
0: right, to when you begin your chemo. So maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe exactly. You,
0: just, you can every year celebrate the beginning and end of, of your experience with MS as your birthday present.
1: That's true. That's true. I like that. Um, I like that positivity because for, for a while, man, I just felt like my birthdays were cursed. Sure.
0: But, <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Was- so, diagnosis on your birthday. How does that even happen?
1: So I was living in downtown Chicago at the time working there, and I had just returned from a lovely weekend in Charleston with my boyfriend, and I had this really bad eye pain just in my left eye, and only when I looked to the left. So after you know, taking migraine meds or or some things like that, I was like, this is not going away. And this also is not normal. So I went to my eye doctor, an optometrist, and he was a really smart man because he said, I can't diagnose this thing that it might be. It's called optic neuritis. Mm. And I appreciate, I appreciate when medical professionals say, I don't know. (laughs) I actually, I actually do because it's at least a jumping off point. For sure. And very rare. And very rare. Yes. And he, he said, your eyes are healthy. They look great. There's nothing in them, but there's this thing I can't, I can't do. So I think you should go to an ophthalmologist. So I was lucky to get in, I think it was the next day to the ophthalmology department at Northwestern. I left work and told my boss, you know, Hey, I'm just going to go to the eye doctor, be back soon. No problem made my way downtown and probably 45 minutes in to the appointment with uh, an ophthalmology resident. I, I thought something was wrong. It was the appointment was taking too long. There were lots of tests um, specifically with my pupils. And now in hindsight, I know the difference of the dilation of the pupils was a, a trigger to mm. them But at the time, it just was one more bright light being shined in my eyes. Sure, And this, this lovely resident who I wish, I wish I knew who it was. I wish I could thank them for being such a good doctor. I like to think that they're out in the world making an impact for other people. Mm. But she, she asked the right question and said, have you ever had an MRI? And weirdly, I had for an unrelated issue about six months prior. And the beauty of uh, a massive medical institution like Northwestern is the electronic medical record and having everything in one place for the access of any, you know, doctor or nurse that you're seeing. For
0: sure, on the spot too.
1: On on the spot. Think of all the time saved, and you know, the 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 individual doesn't have to schlep and find their medical records so she said you know have you had an MRI said yes she goes here at Northwestern I said yes she swivels around on her chair brings up my MRI and you know I should state that the neurologist who I had seen said you have all clear and I'm I'm using air quotes you just can't see that on a podcast but you know you have the all clear for your brain cool didn't think about it again and then this resident is looking at it and leaves the room comes back with several attendings and, and a whole group of doctors. And then everybody leaves and she sits down in front of me and says, I think you have MS and you need to walk to the emergency department and get admitted to the hospital. Wow, Quite, quite a shocking thing to say and was definitely not prepared for that at the eye doctor.
0: No, I bet you were not even contemplating like what might this be other than something wrong with my eye.
1: And I I had no idea what optic neuritis was. I had no idea that, I mean, you you can't know like, gosh, my optic nerve is inflamed, which turns out it was. And certainly I, I of course, knew about MS. I had friends who had done the walks for it. Um, So logically I knew what the disease was, but the idea that I would have it Mm. was a, a pretty big leap for me. So I called my mom who does not live in Chicago, my parents, and uh, I said, Hey, I'm walking over to be admitted to the hospital and I might have MS. And she was like, what? Um, And I said, I, you know, I'm just take your time. Like, there's no need to rush here. We don't know what's going on. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm downplaying it. And I said, I'll keep you posted. And then I called my work to say I'm not coming in. Mm. Uh, turns out I'm going into the hospital, and you know, there throughout throughout the course of chronic illness, it's really amazing the people who enter your life. Mm. And somebody I I have to say is it, my colleague at the time. Her name is Cassie. Uh, we were we were just colleagues. You'd go get coffee, you'd talk, but we hadn't our friendship hadn't really stretched beyond that. And Cassie said, "Are you alone?" And I said, yes. And she knew I didn't have any family in the area. And she said, I am coming to be with you at the ED. Wow. And she also brought snacks, met me at the ED, filled out paperwork for me. And for anyone that's filled out that form for an MRI, still to this day, one of our ongoing jokes is, you know, do you have a penile implant Um, (laughs) before? And it was one of those things that she, she was like, Carolyn, I have to ask you this really important question for your medical record. I figure it out. Uh, But she stayed with me um, through getting admitted to the hospital, which was an all day affair. Again, anyone who's been to the ED and goes to hospital admission. So, um, so I was admitted. That's just
0: amazing support to have right from the start.
1: And now she's one of my absolute dearest friends. And you know, what a, what a sucky way to start a friendship, but also she's somebody I can count on and lean on and and is not afraid of the hard stuff. If, if that's how your found, if that's the foundation of your friendship.
0: Sure. Unforgettable for sure.
1: But so it was the day before my birthday, I got admitted to Northwestern. I was told they needed an MRI and a spinal tap for diagnosis. And sometime in the middle of the night, I was wheeled to the MRI and had, you know, the mother load, right? Uh, brain, cervical, thoracic, lumbar spine, the optic neuritis protocol. So it was about a four hour MRI. Oh, my gosh.
0: In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. In like the middle they of the thought night. you were going to sleep through
1: it or something. Yeah. Two thumbs down. Do not recommend that. No. Um <laughs> But then uh, I got back to my room after the MRI and I had a spinal tap, which also do not recommend, not a super great feeling. Not on your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Again, happy birthday. You get a lumbar puncture. And, you know, I always find it really funny, the phrases that medical professionals say, like it's normal and the you have to lay flat for an hour because you might leak spinal fluid was something that has certainly stuck with me. Not normal on your not, not Not normal. So I'm laying flat and what I would consider the entire neurological suite of Northwestern comes into my room and says, you have multiple sclerosis. And by this point, my mom was already on a flight to come. I had friends and a, my roommate was there and utterly stunned. I I was... You know, I just turned 32, I was healthy, what I would consider I had no symptoms that other people associate with MS, tingling, numbness. Um, I've always been clumsy, so maybe I could attribute balance issues, but I I hadn't thought anything of it. Uh, And I just thought they have to have this wrong. This, this can't be it. Denial uh, is
0: a common thing with diagnosis, (laughs) right? Yeah. Major denial on my part. Um, I still wanted them to be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Understandable when you, you know, it came out of the blue out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't in the hospital that long. Um, I, I had no physical manifestation, uh, you know, that I would, that I now have and know that they were looking for at the time, but you know, IV steroids cleared up my eye pain and I was discharged to with a, an appointment future to meet with a neurologist and, and start treatment on a DMT. Wow. Uh, So
0: did like, did neurologist consult with you while you were in the hospital? How long did you end up being in the hospital?
1: I was in the hospital two nights, three days. Uh, And the neurological team told me what MS was, told me that there were several treatments, several DMTs on the market, but that really said you will meet with a doctor later as your specialist to to talk about a course of treatment. We just want to get you healthy on this, you know, steroid taper and back home as soon as you can. So that was an even weirder waiting period. Hey, go home with this massive new diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I I think it wasn't, I think it was two months before I got in to see the specialist. Oh wow! To, so yeah, it was a
0: hold time. It was a longer period. Mm-hmm. And don't Google.
1: I do. Um, I wish I could remember who said this. It, it, but but I did have a neurologist tell me the the internet is a trash can that nobody empties. Be careful what you Google. Interesting. I really love I really loved that imagery. <laughs> That's fantastic. So it was that whole part of my life, actually, the next probably six months just seemed sort of slow motion and, and really muddy because I was starting, I started rebuff straight away and just thought, oh my gosh, this is the rest of my life. Having flu-like symptoms most of the week, every day, uh, giving myself shots, that type of thing. And it, it just all felt wrong the whole thing, the diagnosis, everything. But, you know, fast forward about five months from diagnosis and I had my first relapse Mm -hmm. and I went I went almost totally blind. And I remember being I was at I was at Wicked. I was at a production of Wicked and I kept blinking my contacts and nothing was making it better. And I thought, oh, I gotta throw these out and then I put my glasses on and that didn't help. And then the next morning I woke up and I, I couldn't read my phone. I couldn't read a computer. Oh my gosh. And I, I think these words that we in the MS community get used to relapse and, and certain things when you're newly diagnosed, I didn't, I didn't know what constituted a relapse or right. what constituted a call to no, my doctor. Of course. And you know, I got, I, I hate that. I, if I, <laughs> I get mad at one thing, I want to like talk to my younger self and be like, that's a big deal. This is going to happen, but none of us have crystal balls. And, and it's just, it's also scary and uncertain.
0: And we don't know what's going on. And even the doctors don't, they aren't sure what to tell you, what to anticipate. Like, I remember asking my doctor, well, what is like, what should I expect with a relapse? And they said, if you feel any different, it might be a relapse.
1: I'm like That's very broad. That's super helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, they don't want to scare you. But there's got there has to be a better happy medium than the one I experienced of fear and knowledge. Or lack thereof, right? Or, or lack thereof. Exactly. And, you know, so I again, IV steroids cleared up the vision issues. And, you know, fast forward, this, there's the big gaps and or big jumps in my story. But I went on and off medications. I Decided to travel by myself for several months in Europe, and I didn't want to be on medication, so I stopped taking the rebiff. Uh, Then I came back to the United States and said, okay, I should should be on one, and I tried Plegrity and had a massive allergic reaction to it, which put me off DMTs for a while, and then I said, okay, let's go old school to the tried-and-true Copaxone, and I did that one, and then fast forward to 2018, and I was, le- I, by this time I had moved from Chicago to Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was working for Cleveland Clinic and I was walking from one area of our main campus to another. And for anyone who is familiar with Cleveland Clinic, the main campus is giant. And I was walking from one spot to another and I couldn't walk. Mm. And I, I was, I was so scared at what was happening and I actually, to get to the parking garage, had to walk past the Mellon Center for MS. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I was standing there going, okay, I'm kind of at a halfway point. Which way do I go? What do I do? And I was able to get into the infusion center at Mellon and get steroids and get a, a new MRI and I had advanced, I had advanced lesions in my cervical spine from the initial one. But since 2018, I have no new lesions in my brain or my spinal cord. Interesting.
0: And have you been yeah, on Copaxone that whole time or something different?
1: Um, so, oh gosh, yeah. So when, after that episode, I got put on Rituxan or Rituximab. And then eventually we switched to Ocrevus. Mm. So from, from 2018 to January 2022, I have been on, you know, one of the big hitters, uh, most recently Ocrevus. So still, I'm, you know, you said the word before, anomaly. I'm an anomaly. And my neurologist was very... He's a great guy and he has a wonderful bedside manner where he can explain things, but he said, MS constitutes two things, disease progression and neurodegeneration. Our drugs and our therapies know how to work with, or for the most part do work with disease progression and Mm -hmm. additional lesions. Because science has not yet captured neurodegeneration of the damage that's already been done. Mm -hmm. And then he says, your disease is manifesting in rapid neurodegeneration. Oh, no. And it's interesting because he was very specific in his word choice to not say relapsing, remitting, primary, progressive. Sure. And quite frankly, I didn't need a doctor to say any of that when I went from walking 10 miles a day to two miles a day to not being able to walk around the block to using a cane and a rollator. Mm. So... From 2018 to now, it's it's been a a downhill progression. And certainly before the pandemic hit, you know, I walked out of my office at Cleveland Clinic without assistance. I you know, I had crippling fatigue. I had mobility issues, but I was walking freely. And today I use a cane. I use a rollator to get around and be safe. And exactly, and so in in the midst of COVID, as we all have experienced, different trials and tribulations, different ups and downs. Uh, I had to come to terms with using a mobility device and not seeing it as the enemy, but seeing it as a really wonderful thing, and and certainly a privilege to be able to afford and use these in my in my home and in my life. Um, if I could go back in time and tell myself a few things, one of them would be get it, get it sooner and stay more active and check your ego at the door that somehow it defines you in a way you don't want to be defined. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be normal or look normal or hide our disease because we do it every day with fatigue, with different symptoms, being an invisible illness a lot of the time that when it stopped being invisible and started being very visible, I had a really hard time with it.
0: You're not alone. And it's a brilliant way to say, right? The exact very thing that so many of us, it's so hard to wrap your mind around needing that support because of those societal stigmas that do put a lot of pressure on Normal. And I'd love to just challenge the word normal. Whose version of normal
1: are we expected to be? Exactly. And and what, you know, I, I actually kind of switch it to I don't like saying healthy and sick. I say seemingly healthy or chronically ill. Mm. Because I I have conversations with friends where they're on multiple medications, they're not sleeping, they're not eating well, they're their body just hasn't broken down. And I was like, well, my body doesn't work the way I wish it did, but I think I'm actually pretty healthy mm. and, and none of us are perfect. So yeah. what, what is that normal? Like it, it changes on a daily hourly minute by minute basis. And, and I wish we all just were a little less hard on ourselves, um, trying to be something that, I don't know, society, the world, whoever, or just ourselves, our ego, (laughs) right? Yeah, our ego. Yeah, Yeah. check it at the door. For sure.
0: I just so much appreciate everything you just said, just that perspective and mindset. And so kudos to you for finding it. um, Even if it did take a little reflection and retrospective investigation and consideration of I like the uh, if I could tell my younger self something, right? It's not easy to find.
1: It It isn't. And it's also, it's, somebody once said grief isn't linear. And I think that the word grief can apply to a chronic illness diagnosis, that there are days when you're okay. And there are days when acceptance of what life is, is really, really hard. So I don't, I try not to judge today based on where I was yesterday or think about tomorrow in that way. And just let it be. Sometimes I feel miserably if I'm being totally honest, but it's so hard to do. I, I just think that we have to give ourselves space in the illness, in the chronically ill community to, to be messy one day and get up the next and see where we're at. You no, know, it's just, it's taken years of therapy. Let's be honest. <laughs> For sure. Well, and it's the exact
0: right mindset for you to be going into HSCT with.
1: Okay, well, that that was a whole nother. I feel like my my story is a whole bunch of being blindsided by a medical professional. but uh,
0: <laughs> So yeah, how did you come to find HSCT?
1: So and I, I have to give you a shout out. It's only in retrospect that I you know, I found your podcast, I listened, and hearing the brilliant people you have interviewed, who said oh i've been following the hsct journey i i watched all the documentaries i listened to all the podcasts i knew i wanted this i had no idea this was a thing before the words bone marrow transplant were said in my console with my neuro so i i had my my ocrevus infusion in february and i Was feeling pretty crappy from that infusion, and then my doctor was forty-five minutes late to our appointment, which was our yearly touch base. Mm, That's hard. And I also I hadn't seen him in person since the start of the pandemic because, frankly, I was too stubborn. I was like, a virtual visit is fine. Sure. There's no difference. I don't need to go through the whole neuro exam for. I can just tell you I'm deteriorating and deteriorating fast. So I made that decision myself. Um, so when he did come in the room, I was already just, Oh gosh, I was, I was ready. I was revved for the fight because I I didn't feel well. And I was mad at him for being late. And I think I might've said nice of you to grace me with your presence. (laughs) Um, so, uh, he, he luckily is used to my personality, but, um, you know, we went through the exam and his his fellow is in the room and is taking notes on my medical record. And we're, we're talking through things. And he sits down and, and he says, I think you're a candidate for bone marrow transplant. Mm. Uh, I think my exact response was uh, what? Speak into my good ear? Right? What nonsense are you talking about? And. You know, pro- professionally, I should back. So I, I said I work at the Cleveland Clinic, but when I first started working, I did um, media, public relations, communications for our cancer center at Cleveland Clinic. So I was well acquainted with the bone marrow transplant team at our cancer center, sure. with the operations of the cancer team, and had done patient stories and 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 different elements. So. Working at Cleveland Clinic, I'm I'm in the midst of things that most people don't think about as a patient: medical operations, pharmacy operations, some like the really cool things that make a hospital work, and certainly one that is as large as Cleveland Clinic. So he says, you know, here are the steps that have to happen. We, we, and he talked about Northwestern. He talked about Dr. Burt and how the, the program that was founded there that they used to send Cleveland Clinic patients to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. He gave me that whole background, but he said, now, now we do it here. And I will, for, you know, first our neuro consortium or some fancy word like that is going, you know, all the neurologists get together and vote. Uh, I present your case. We vote if you're a good candidate. I thought, okay, well, when does that happen? Like quarterly? And, and I, think, I think this was a Wednesday that my point was. He goes, we meet Monday. Oh. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, okay, Monday. And he goes, if you, if you go forward, then um, you'll have a consult with one of our oncologists. If that goes forward, then we start uh, the two-day testing to make sure everything in your body is healthy. And all along the way is insurance approvals, right? You of know this. It, what's so interesting about it is it's not it's not one approval to go forward. It's an approval for the consult with hematology. It's mm-hmm. approval for once once each person gives their blessing, then you go back to insurance approvals. So so I my my dear friend picked me up from my appointment that day, and I think I cried. Because again, you're mourning, you're mourning the loss of your health and you're also mourning the loss of control, but you're also, I was also so excited to have hope and to have something different. The, the, the power of words, the power of options was incredibly profound for me because I, I went into that appointment again battle armor on of them telling me yeah you're getting worse but you're on the best drug you're on ocrevus right and i i don't i don't blame medical professionals for the the lack of progression and in, in curing our disease but i do i do have high expectations on how we treat individuals when they're in front of you so so being like yep you're sick get worse just I, I couldn't take it anymore, and and so I was totally and completely blindsided uh, by what this was. Even though I knew what a bone marrow transplant was, even though I had done stories like that, I it wasn't even on my radar for a treatment for MS. Right, not
0: for autoimmune disease.
1: So I I think I stared at the wall when I got home for a few hours. Uh, I I remember my my husband saying like. Do you want me to be with you? Do you want to read? Do you want do you want to watch television? I was like, actually, I just I just need to go be alone cuz I can't I can't process anything right now.
0: Well, because I'm sure you were very then familiar with all of the ins and outs of HSCT for cancer patients.
1: Exactly. You know, so about about 24 hours later, I remember taking the next day off of work and I just dove in to research. I have a very type A personality. I I wanted to know everything. And because I work at Cleveland Clinic, a good friend of mine is a bone marrow transplant doctor. So you better believe I called his cell phone and ugly cried on the phone. Right. I bet. You know, so like I recognize my privilege in having these wonderful people at my fingertips. And he he said, I'm not an MS doctor, but let me walk you through what happens step-by-step step. Mm. um and what the drugs are and, and, you know, what the side effects are. And, and that was, uh, actually very calming to talk to somebody. And, and when you're talking, I, I'm sure everyone has had some experience where they have a doctor who talks more like a human than a doctor, mm. but he just goes, well, Carolyn, you're going to fight like hell and you're going to get through this. I think this is a great option for you. Awesome. So, Yeah. So that was, that was early, that was early February. And because of the lovely insurance game, no one can say how long anything takes or or what will happen next, but things moved fast. And, and I know you've had other guests on, on your show who have received HSCT at Cleveland Clinic, and I've, I've eventually become connected to them through other means. And, I'm I'm so grateful to the other people, yourself included, who have paved the way that this is an option for me in the United States. Mm. I'm just grateful for the for the bravery and the individuals who have fought for this treatment to bring me to where I am. So just want to say that.
0: Yeah, no. And I'm grateful to them as well and to you for sharing your story, right? Because without people willing to share their story. We don't have the podcast. So I appreciate you, you speaking here. And so on that note, why is it important for you to participate in the podcast?
1: So I am a communications professional and I think that stories can change the world. And I think understanding the very complex world of medicine, uh, needs stories. And I, I do this every day in my job. I, I help, I help translate the medical world into the patient experience. And, and now I have a front row seat of being a patient. And I feel that that privilege bears with it a certain amount of responsibility in talking about what is available, how to advocate for yourself, how to provide feedback to your medical team and and I think I think just telling my story it, that it is just it, that it is available even in the U.S. Right. Cleveland Clinic is a world renowned institution, and we've done a handful of these for, for MS treatments. So is that is that is it moving the needle? Will more people know to ask um, the principal investigator for the beat MS trial is at Cleveland Clinic, um, I actually just had a 7T MRI yesterday for this study. Have you heard of this? No, but, I have not. Whew, um, so we're one of 50 institutions in the world that have it. It's a 7 Tesla MRI, and it is no joke. The side-by-side comparison of the pictures of your brain are quite startling. And that. I, uh, I mean, it's it's not even standard definition to high definition. It's like a supersonic picture of your brain. Wow. Um, but it, it was, I was asked if I would do it for research. So it wasn't in my medical record. I wasn't billed for it, but the idea is that they're taking this really high definition picture of my brain now, and then they will take it a year post transplant. And, What I said in the the appointment was, you know, everybody tells you, this isn't a cure. We can't do anything about the disease that has already occurred. This is to to pause, to stop. That's Mm -hmm. the hope. So everyone has been very, very clear on that front. But my question about this research, superhuman MRI, (laughs) was, are you trying to measure with the best pictures available if healing could be possible from this procedure? And And I got response. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. You know, I, I stopped to say, okay, like I, who wants to do another MRI? I've already had my, I've already had my yearly images. I had to have fresh ones to, for the insurance approval for HSCT. So I was not super jazzed about it. And, It also, there are science terms I don't understand. they're like, well, because of the really big magnet, you feel like you're spinning or rocking when you're inside the machine. Interesting. I can confirm that you 100% do. I thought I was on a hammock. (laughs) Did you end up with Uh, vertigo at all? uh, I did a little bit. I had a lot of head pain, which I've never had in an MRI. Hmm. It was not a pleasant experience. And I am an avid, uh, I take a Xanax before I go into an MRI just to sort of ease the situation. For sure. Um, I also strongly believe in listening to Broadway show tunes in the MRI because it can drown out the sound and there was no music in the 7T. But... <laughs> oh,
0: no. I'm so always was, with classical it, music just because it's like soothing.
1: The, the, I started with classical music. So I, I feel you yeah, on that one. Um, <laughs> I was so upset when there was no music, but I was like, okay, so that was an hour long of MRI noises on top of spinny feelings. Mm. It was, um, and it was intense yeah, so and
0: worried. head pain.
1: Right. It's so strong that one, one of the imaging theories, it actually shakes you like you're on a vibration plate. Wow.
0: And so uh-huh. did you like, How was walking when you got out of it? It's hard to even sit up after laying down for that long, but then to walk.
1: The tech helped me to sit up because I was absolutely swaying. Like you just got off a boat and, you know, I have a hard enough time finding my, my equilibrium as it is. Mm. And he, he kind of held me and I did some deep yoga breathing, some stretches and then um we just got to my role later and I was able to splash some cold water on my face and and go on go about my day. But it was I sat there longer than usual. It was an intense MRI experience.
0: Sounds very intense, but I love that they are trying to capture evidence
1: of neuroplasticity. I, exactly. I was like, yeah, let's take a picture, use my brain, let's study this. And I will go through it again, you know, a year post-transplant and hopefully have great news because otherwise, I mean, if we don't have hope, what point is there?
0: <laughs> Indeed. I appreciate you being a part of that research initiative.
1: I, I think it sometimes is so hard to find. You know, I, I didn't know the BEAT-MS trial was happening at Cleveland Clinic. If people are interested, it's still taking It's still taking patients. There are others that would fall under the research category. I do not. Mine mine is covered by insurance, which is an interesting distinction. But this is an ongoing trial where others could have access to HSCT if they're interested.
0: And that's the entire purpose for HSCT Warriors Incorporated, the nonprofit that we started out of this podcast, is to just help promote awareness of... HSCT as an option for people. Yeah.
1: Kudos to you because again, totally blindsided, and now I feel like I have this front row seat. Um, and you know, you you research everyone who goes to Mexico, and and I will say it's interesting to see the difference in protocols. The the protocol used at Cleveland Clinic is different from the one in Mexico, which is slightly different from the one in Northwestern. Um, in terms of the types of chemotherapy, the duration, the timing, um, when you get a port, when you don't. Uh, so I've been I've been learning a lot. And the other interesting thing about this, so you know, the the cancer team is a well-oiled, seasoned team, and they're exceptional. And I got a binder that was I don't know twenty pounds of everything. Wow. Every, every stage of the game, how to how to clean my tricatheter port, what the side effects were, nutrition, etc. I want someone so desperately to go into that PDF document and control find all the times it says cancer and replace yes, MS.
0: Yes. Or because autoimmune disease.
1: Or autoimmune disease. Exactly. Because I'm like the number of people I've talked to who went, I mean, oh, but you don't have cancer. And and under the category of weird things people say to you, I was told I have pristine bone marrow. So, <laughs> so gathering stem cells, the apheresis portion should go pretty well.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful news. I mean, it's, you can still expect at least six hours. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But I was like, what a weird compliment. Um, So you, Jen, you probably had pristine bone marrow too. I don't know. They only extracted
0: 8.75 million stem cells, which I think is around average. Like they only need two. At least Dr. Bird only needed two at Northwestern, two million for the transplant. So I don't know the baseline or what they need for transplant at Cleveland, but.
1: I think they go for five million, but. I don't have my binder in front of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and that could absolutely be because of the protocol the myelo ablative protocol.
1: Yeah. So you'll have more of your immune system wiped out. Yes, it's a fully ablative treatment. Um, you know, I got got my calendar mailed to me with the whole timing of things and which is also strange to with work to plan to be out and then but in, but, but in, right. And also at where I work. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. So I, that's, that's strange. Um, but I feel, I feel really excited. I feel really hopeful. And the members of the HSCT community who I've reached out to in terms of like, what do I pack and bring to the hospital? And I had a text exchange with someone the other day and I said, you know, should I bring a lamp? Is that weird? I hate, I hate fluorescent lights. You know, is it weird to bring a lamp? And she, she wrote me back. She goes, no, bring, that's a great idea. Bring bring a lamp. lamp.
0: (laughs) I hate fluorescents too. I'm I've mostly had my lights off and just use the light from the window.
1: That's see exactly like that's, these are the things that are easier for me to think about my packing list and, and the lighting in my hospital room than, than what I'm actually about to go through. But you know, that
0: may be a good thing because and part of the reason I started this podcast is because of that fear and anxiety that I walked into HSCT with. And I realized like, this really isn't necessary because if you can just absolve control and being type A, that may be difficult for you, but <laughs> knowing that you are in good hands with professionals who do this every single day and have done this for lots of days. They're very, very skilled at what they do. Like they know what they're doing, and anything, even the slightest hint of a complication, they're going to respond and and
1: fix it exactly i I have such faith and, and hope in the team and they've been they've handled things so beautifully so far. and you know I a sister one of my sisters I have many, but one of them said to me, um, if you added up all the bad days you've had due to MS in the last, let's just say two years, not even 10 years, it's probably more than 60 days. And she goes, you can do anything for 60 days or 30 days, you can, you can have a a hard day. You can get through this because of the hope on the other side. And I, I work well with like limits and ideas. And I always want to know, knowing that, that no one can predict how I will respond. I like knowing other people's experiences in order to sort of build the picture for myself. And with each HSCT warrior I've spoken to, We've had different manifestation of MS illness and disease. We've had different uh, degrees of disability. They all had different responses to the treatment, to HSCT. And every single person without hesitation would do it again. Absolutely. And, if that, and if that's than not now. a ringing endorsement. I don't know what
0: is. And the same can be said for the podcast interview. Every single person I have talked to. And everyone's story is so different, right? And that's why I can I can be in season eight and talking to you and hearing new things from your story that I've never heard before. It's it's so amazing to be a part of. Yeah, everyone's experience is so unique and the bringing endorsement for HSET as I would not hesitate to go through it again if I needed to.
1: And I love the idea that the hope that I'm going into this to stop where I'm at. So, if that means I use my badass rollator every day of my life, that's, o- that's okay. If we're taking away the uncertainty or at least easing the uncertainty of downward progression for a few years, that will be such a gift. But then I have medical professionals, people who have been to a lot more school than I have, trying to see if maybe healing is possible. If, if you know, neuroplasticity and, and the power of the human body is possible. Oh, that possible? It's just that it hasn't been documented. Right. You know, and I, I don't know if you experienced this at Northwestern, but one of the things I have found so interesting about talking to my medical team about HSCT is the language they use to discuss stem cells is very different. I, I'm used to um, a doctor or a surgeon. We give you X drug, or we will do X procedure and 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 they're they're the one in control. The reverence that everyone on the cancer side and the neurological side has about stem cells in the way that they talk about it is a huge shift in what I've experienced. So, you know, we harvest these stem cells and and we then we put them back in you and they do their thing. They rebuild your immune system. They know where to go. It's almost like they personify the stem cells and and give over to them. And I've never experienced anything like that in the medical world before.
0: It is so cool. I, I asked my nurses about it at Northwestern because there we received a chart where they would track our numbers like le- the five days before the stem cell birthday and then however many days after that it takes your counts to come back up. So they'll probably do something similar. I don't know that it'll hang on your wall like it did on mine. But yeah, I asked the nurses, like, how do we... I noticed that the numbers are different. And so how how do your stem cells know what to become? (laughs) And it is truly just your body's intelligence. And she said, usually... I can't remember the order now, but usually leukocytes or lymphocytes come back first and then platelets and then hemoglobin is always last or something. I really don't remember the order, but she talked about how there is definitely a sequencing of which they become first. Fascinating. So (laughs) fascinating that our body has this intelligence.
1: Yeah. So as I, as I prepare, I am, I am predominantly hopeful but scared out of my mind quite frankly.
0: Yeah, so what doubts or reservations I, do you have?
1: I think yeah, well, so the way that I have have processed things is I actually started a blog to kind of talk about the emotional roller coaster that I've been on. Um one, you know, a lot of people use caring bridge, but I have a big extended family all over the country and friends all over the world and I wanted I didn't want to have to text every single person an update. So sure. But then I also said, you know, other people going through this, I'd I'd like to be a resource if it can help someone else who comes across this. So I started writing and I I have, I'm riding the waves, so to speak, of, of just elation and how fast things have moved and how grateful I am for all the people behind the scenes making it happen, right? All the you know, my insurance company initially denied it. And then they went back for an appeal and it got accepted. And I have a transplant nurse, I have a social worker, I have a nutritionist, um, I have, I asked to speak to the bone marrow transplant therapist at the cancer center. There's, there's a wealth of people who are on my team who are working to help me. And that's really amazing. But at the end of the day, even with an army behind me. It's my decision. I'm. I also have been told, you know, you can die. They have to say that. Um, and then I remember that I jumped out of a plane and went skydiving once. And I've been bungee jumping and I've done death-defying hikes in Zion National Park. So there were many times I was putting myself at risk that didn't have the hope of of not curing but easing or you know, halting, limiting, helping my multiple sclerosis. So, Mm. but it's, it's a, it's a burden. And, and I'm sure other people feel like it's a group decision or a family decision, but I feel the weight of this. And as I've prepared, you know, doing very adult things. Thanks as always for listening to the HSCT Warriors podcast. Tune in next week for part two.
0: Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org, where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allett-Sauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind be well. Jen Stansberry-Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.